0: Titterpigs, the RPG podcast. (laughs) We're getting paid for this guy.
1: titter pigs tonight we are hanging out with jason sheets one half of the sons of the singularity a publisher of games and supplements with decidedly historical tones as with all of our episodes it will be a loose and dynamic conversation featuring the topic of bringing history into your game and making the most of it jason welcome to titter pigs (laughs) konichiwa coming
0: straight from tokyo thank you for having me
1: it is awesome to have you my friend I know you and I have corresponded a lot via email um, for 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 a variety I can't even talk tonight for a variety of reasons, but it's it's good to have you up on Zoom here and have you on Titter Pigs with us. Uh, would you be so kind as to give listeners maybe the the digest version of how you got into into gaming and,
0: and into publishing? Like like many of your guests, I started with the red box, played mm-hmm. that the uh, solo game uh, where you're the cleric and uh, you fight some skeletons, and um, and then there was a book fair at school. I picked up the D&D coloring book. I, I don't know oh, if you've seen that. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. I remember it fondly, yes.
0: I, I didn't quite have enough money for it, so my, my buddy and I had to go halves and share it. <laughs> um, but uh, we played D&D with his older brother and uh, been gaming ever since
1: fantastic um yeah i re- i remember the rust monster in the red box <clears throat> i still have it out for the rust monster all these years yeah
2: excellent excellent yeah so it, we all seem to kind of have that similar background at, le- at least at a certain point you know at a certain age i would i would say you know there's there's that kind of initial starting point and then some slight deviation like you know for me it was the endless quest books uh you know and, and so on and so forth so and myself would also like to welcome welcome you also to Titter Pigs. Um, now we haven't corresponded as much as you have with Keith. Uh, our primary correspondence has has been me hopping on to Kickstarter saying, Where the hell is are my books? And you or someone else kindly saying, You haven't filled out the backer kit yet. Please <laughs> do that. <laughs> and your books will be on the way. And of course, me eating a you know, mouthful of crow and filling out the backer kit but uh yes it, it, it is and of course i didn't i wasn't being rude or anything like that but it was still nice to just have a you know a semi kind response of not of you know hey you know this may be why not a hey, dipshit
0: uh it's <laughs> hey, we love those kinds of correspondence right 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 i mean that's a sign that the kickstarter has has gone well and um you know we've got we actually have customers right right <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah. You know, the the day after it's like, where's it at? Um, (laughs) I haven't got my shipping notice, you know, so when is it coming? And I I know every single Kickstarter, uh, someone who's ever won one has at least had one of those messages. So, Uh, but no, 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 thank you so much. And, you know, thank you for the, you know, the digest version of, you know, of, you know, your background in gaming. I'm sure more will come out during the conversation as we, you know, talk some more, but But, you know, when we reached out to you to come onto the show and, you know, we had some, you know, Keith, you and Keith had some correspondence back and forth. We kind of touched on a couple of things we would, you know, talk about and see if it it takes us somewhere. And, you know, so one of those things is, you know, historical gaming. Um, The games that you have created, uh, you know, at least, you know, the ones through Sons of Singularity, you know, tend to lean more to. Obviously not. It's not 100 percent historical accurate because it's Call of Cthulhu and things like that. You know, mystical references and whatnot. But it does have you know quite a large uh, foundation rooted in significant historical situations. You know, within the scenario itself or the you know the campaign itself.
0: So is it one fair, thing, fair to say ripped from ripped from the pages of history? Is that fair?
2: absolutely there? You go. There you go. I that's, that's why, that's why you're the writer, you know, and I'm the talking head on a, on a screen here. So, uh, but, um, but so with that, you know, we, we, we have everyone, everyone in the RPG world and gaming world for that matter, or even let's just say nerddom. We like our definitions, you know, we like things to be clear and concise. And so we can definitely label them to argue about it later. Uh, <laughs> so, so to you, and this is also to Keith, uh, just kind of curious, you know. When it comes to, you know, your definition of historical gaming, you know, when you're looking at other games and when you are creating your game, what is your definition as opposed to just like a setting? It's like, you know, cowboys riding into town, shooting guns in, in the wild west scene is a setting, but not necessarily a, a historical one. So how about you, um, you know, let us know, let us know and listeners know what definition what your definition is of, of a historical gaming setting.
0: Well, if you're playing a Western game and, and uh, Doc Holliday shows up, uh, you're mm-hmm. definitely moving towards a, a historical game. Okay. Um, you know, So maybe this is more of an art than a science, but mm-hmm. um, you can look for things that, that really tie it to history. And um, when you tie your story to history, um, it allows for greater immersion um and so i guess the first thing i'd look for is do you have real people real places um you know that are showing up and playing an important part in the story um if if uh, doc holiday has a speaking part or does something or there's an interaction mm-hmm. or or even if a player is playing doc holiday uh, right. potentially so uh characters uh places uh that have historical ties i'd start there um mm-hmm. keith what, what do you think mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll piggyback off of that. I mean, that
1: is absolutely spot on. Um, People, places, and things that have connections to the real world uh, that people can connect with, mentally connect with, things that they can recognize, going using the Wild West setting, right? You know, the Mm -hmm. Doc Holidays, the Wyatt Earps, um, you know, physical locations whether it be um, cattle drives, you know, whatever, a silver mine, a gold mine, the, the 49ers, whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. you know, steamboats, you know, paddle wheel boats, whatever things that, that players can, that their minds can anchor to in, that are based in reality really helps um, kind of like lock in that, that historical setting versus... Oh, it's just cowboys coming into town, generic cowboys coming into a generic town, Mm -hmm. shooting generic guns, right? Um, which is, yeah, it's Wild West-esque, but it's not the Wild West in a historical sense. Okay. So, and the, the primary
2: reason I'm kind of leaning the questions on you is obviously, you know, Jason, you have a background in this with the games that you have not only you know created, but but run. You know from my discussion with Keith, and you know, and Keith has a legitimate uh, legitimate background uh, in um you know in in history. You know he, he's you know that's that's where a lot of his um, you know education stems from. He's got. Last I checked, he's got eight or nine, you know, master's degrees and in the historical (laughs) significance of red ants in, um, you know, in Malaysia. And I mean, just really diverse ones. Right, Keith? I have Um, very
1: diverse college degrees. That is true. Um, I don't have eight or nine master's degrees. Right. Um, I was working on two. two I was working on two (laughs) master's degrees, but uh, I didn't finish either of those because I ran out of funding. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. But I have lots of credit. Credit hours, right. yeah, and, but and both exactly. are in historic, uh, historical disciplines. Okay, so w-
2: another question, and then I'm going to kind of toss the the torch over to to Keith, and um, you know he can take it from there. Uh, so, so not just you know not just people within history, not just places, not just kind of maybe historically accurate you know situations, but whatnot. But what about actual events? Um, would you say that that's an important thing? Cause I, 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 am not as familiar with the Sassoon files. Uh, but you know, journal Indochine looks like it takes place during a significant part of history. And likewise, it also looks like the Sassoon files does also.
0: Yeah, that's correct. Um, I think that historical events, um, are, you know, if, if your story takes place within that the context of that historical event at the same time as the historical event becomes the cause of the historical event, Mm-hmm. or results because of the historical event uh you're now playing a game that's a history game um okay. and that's an important part of the stories that i write and uh that's an important part of other um games that are also you know in this space so for example um i played a game called Mil- millionaire special it's a scenario a trail of cthulhu scenario um where you know you're on the titanic um that's a huge historical event you know surprise you're on the titanic Um,
1: oh wow yeah
0: you know and that's an amazing horror background right i mean that's just absolutely wow yeah that's yeah sorry i didn't mean to step on you scott but yeah
1: so that's um tying it into history is like the historical events is Mm -hmm. spot on it's it that's equally as important as, you know, the people, places, and things. Um, so if I could kind of, like, move the conversation from that, which I think is a great segue, mm-hmm. like, so how, like, how do we as game masters, amateur writers, because um, every game master who create, who does not run a, a as written scenario is basically an amateur writer in some capacity. Right. So how do we as amateur writers get the most out of, out of historical setting, you know um,
0: whether it be horror, fantasy. um, Well, well, I think that matters, right. I think you Mm -hmm. should pick a genre um, because what you do with history changes based on the the genre you're in. Um, You know, if you're in, if you're in horror um, you know, you put people in uncomfortable situations where the party is isolated or the, where the party's under fire where there's risk uh, involved or unusual, you know, stranger than hist- you know, stranger than fiction type, you know, history, this is an unusual event that really did happen um, in the context of fantasy. Um, you might not be looking for that. Um, you, you know, if you're doing feudal, Japan, um, you might be telling a story about samurai or ninja. Um, if you're doing, um, you know, uh, wild west or pirates, Um, pirates don't necessarily, they don't necessarily go, I mean, you can have, you know, pirates and horror, but that's not necessarily a given. You could go down a, a different route. So the history that you're going to pick and choose from really depends on the flavor that you want for your campaign. And so your genre will help drive that. I think. Hmm. Okay. That's so fair. So I'll
2: I'll add a little bit to that as someone who has not written but you know who has run a couple games or has, or has played in some games that take place during you know uh, significant historical events. Uh, primary Call of Cthulhu, you know, especially the current edition. There, you know, they become no- notorious isn't the correct word, but known for that. You know, with you know, um, obviously their most recent edition, Children of Fear, is just steeped in in that and does a fantastic job it, it it almost feels like a walking tour of those areas as you're playing that game um uh, you know you're, you when when i completed it i felt smarter and like i knew significantly more <laughs> things that that happened whereas you know that 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 history at least here in the states is largely ignored unless you're you know upper you know higher education and whatnot you know specializing in that but one of the things that i've i've kind of found is is dealing with within the historical thing is almost like dealing with um, a, a licensed setting. You know, as I'm going through these historical events, uh, am, is, is it more important to me to maintain the integrity of, of the history while the people are playing the game? Or if they start changing the events of history to just lead, let them lead it down the path and ultimately, you know, we come out with a totally different event. Um, and and it it was... It was interesting, but it, it, it seems to kind of, I don't know if they actually intersect, but it, I don't know if that's the responsibility of the Game Master to maintain the historical uh, integrity of what they're currently playing through as they're changing these
0: events. Yeah, but before we dive into that, um, right. I think we should talk a little bit about um, the idea that um, the depth of a setting... Um, mm-hmm. Is defined by whether you've set it in history, which means it has infinite depth; it has details. Okay. If you set it in fantasy, if it's from a licensed product, it mm-hmm. potentially has great depth. If, if you're playing Star Wars, everybody knows what the Star Wars universe is, right? right? Um, if you start playing in a setting that that is fantasy, that is homebrewed, that doesn't have that kind of depth, mm-hmm. um, you know your setting is uh, you know more flexible, but it's also more shallow, and you have less to draw on. And, and so there, we should start off with, with that as a premise. Okay. Um, and then your question is, well, you know, what is the responsibility of the GM in relation to keeping the story consistent with history or giving an alternative interpretation of what happened? Right. Uh, we're playing a story game. And right. story games are, you know, it's the, the job of, of both the GM and the players to build out that story. And if they like a story that hides within the pages of history and and looks consistent from afar, Mm -hmm. great. And if they want to change history and rewrite it, great. Why not? And I think that gets defined by the table and the interest of the people telling that story.
2: Fantastic. Fantastic. That, that pretty much nails it on the head and, and, you know, makes it, it makes it an even killed answer, no matter which way you go. So that's, that's, that answers that for me. Um, It locks so, it in for me. <laughs> so,
0: so, so, you know, you, you know, in Journal de the Indochine, um, mm-hmm. I wrote a scenario called La Roulette, which takes place during uh, the Battle of Colonial Route 4. Uh, okay. This is a battle, a real battle, um, and the French got routed. I mean, it was kind of, it was the end. It was, mm-hmm. when, when it happened, it was before Dien Bien Phu, but when it happened, everybody knew, you know. This is not a sustainable war. Right. Um, at, at one point, the rescuers were being rescued. That's how bad it was. Uh, I think the technical term is foobar. <laughs> <laughs> that would be correct. Um, in, in this story, the timeline is the timeline, and it's not going to change. And this is a horror story. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is drop the characters and send them down you know, a shotgun tube. That history is going to, you know, it's going to happen, whether they like it or not. But that's not the story. That's just mm-hmm. the setting. There's a right. story that's taking place there that is about, you know, something else. Um, they're looking to explore why they're in a particular predicament. Why are they in this historical setting, having these bad things happen to them? And there's a there's a mythos answer to that question. And I I'm think, not going to spoil that. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. But I think that's
1: but I think that's a good. A good example of the blending of the two, you know, having that player experience within the context of the framework of the historical setting. Right. Mm -hmm. You know that them going into it and they probably know if they have any any sense of that history that they are going. It's an absolute that that real event is an absolute shit show. Mm -hmm. So. It is what it is, but that's not why they are there. Per se, Correct. they are there. Other things are happening because I've, I've read that scenario, so I'm not going to give anything away. They mm-hmm. are, other things are happening that they are there trying to figure out and suss out those details and interlink and connect those pieces. Uh, that being said, those other things are still happening around them, um, which are the real historical events.
0: So right, the- they run in parallel. We- so, so let's compare that to the other uh, historical scenario that I wrote, uh, which is called Black Sea Rising, which happens towards the end of World War II. Japan is losing; they're in retreat, and the story takes place in what was French-occupied Indochina and in Vietnam. Okay. Um, and you know, you're playing OSS; you're playing, um, you know, a, a ragtag group of resistance to the Japanese, essentially. As the story is written, if you succeed, you you know you prevent Cthulhu from rising. World War II still happens, but Cthulhu right. doesn't right. rise. Now, if you fail and the players think it's an interesting part of your story, you can have Cthulhu rise. Why not? Yeah, why <laughs> <Right>? not? <laughs> Both
2: excellent, you know, conclusions and sh- should be satisfactory at least, you know, from a GM point of view.
0: <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> that just
1: either changes what the next scenario could be. Right, right.
0: (laughs) maybe it changes the you know the game. You go from playing Call of Cthulhu to you know something else from uh, uh, (laughs) yeah to a whole other to a whole other game. So,
1: (laughs) but Um, wow, okay. mm -hmm. Um, So along with that, you know, kind of either paralleling or. Um, depending on you know what the, the the table wants in terms of more historical or less his, less accuracy with the hit, you know with the history but still within the the bigger you know historical context. What are your thoughts on using games uh, to teach history, like actual factual history? And I and I ask this because um, I have lots of friends that are teachers. Part of my day job, um, I teach. I don't teach history, but I do teach uh, some stuff. Uh, I can't go into it, but I do teach some stuff. And I do have teachers in my family. So I I, I appreciate teachers.
0: I I can't think of a more powerful tool to teach history than RPGs. Um, And it starts first with a keeper who's doing preparation. So Sassoon Files was... um, I knew it was going to be a book. I didn't know if it was going to be a history book or an art, or an RPG book, but you know, that involved a, an immense amount of research into uh, Shanghai in the 20s. Um, and by virtue of conducting that research, I learned a lot about China. I had to figure out you know, who Big Ear Du was or you know, um, and what the Green Gang was about. And I had to figure out what the, the, the nascent communist movement was doing. Um, And by virtue of doing all that research and then trying to build a story or write my story into that setting, I learned a ton of information. And then when I sat down with my players, they all had bits of their history. They knew of some of it, but not all of it. And when you get down, you get these synergies at that table or or somebody asks, you know, was this technology available? You know, was there antibiotics yet? Um, Or who was trading in opium? Or... Um, you know, what type of uh, firearms are available? I mean, those, those, those questions are questions that help you understand what's going on at that time period. Um, you know, uh, knowing, knowing that there was a, um, uh, that the French uh, political, organ- the, the French portion of Shanghai was separate from uh, the Chinese portion, which was also separate from the Shanghai International Settlement. Um, those and that they each had their own police forces. Um, that's you. You don't figure that out unless you start asking those questions. And so, in the context of an RPG, you're going to go out and you're going to go get those answers. Um, and so, in, in terms of really understanding what it means to say that there was a, you know, a, a, a you know, a, a, a protest on, you know, May fourth or May eleventh or whatever. Um, then you, if you understand all the pieces that went together and what led up to it, then you have a much better understanding of, of your history. It's not just one piece of history information. It's just you know a collection of, of information points that build out a picture. Um, and then the other thing I would have to say about it is when, when you're role playing as a historical character, you, you put yourself in their shoes to the best that you can, that helps you understand perhaps the real historical event that took place.
2: Without question, I mean, it, it, it's funny you mentioned uh, Shanghai during the 20s because right now, just last Sunday was when my masks of Nyarlathotep campaign they arrived in Shanghai, and like you had said that even even prior to that, and and I don't know how familiar you are with the campaign. I assume you you probably are. They decided to to leap from New York to Shanghai, so there is not only. The culture shock with with the players but also within their characters within the game because they weren't taking the, the linear path Dope. but but even from the beginning I, I, I totally agree with you about you know the utilizing RPGs you know even, you know even games specifically um, to teach history is fantastic and RPGs a more powerful source you know and I' there's grown adults there that knew absolutely nothing about the 20s and they were asking those questions you just said and they're learning things and i'm learning things too as i'm preparing and they're playing things out and something would come up and then i have to look something up cuz they're wanting to keep it as genuine as possible within you know within the realm of you know still having fun and then when we go to shanghai yeah i mean it's the the atmosphere suddenly changed and you know the the as i'm reading through that and you know going you know that at any given moment there could be some sort of side situation that's going to complicate the the issue within the mythos aspect of it um and they're learning things too and you know same thing with children of fear i so many things that i learned about you know the myths and legends of you know central asia and northern india that uh uh, uh, lynn Lynn willis lynn hardy Hardy, sorry let's get those i get that confused uh lynn hardy did with that um, you know, you could just read that book and not ever play it and walk away with a wealth of, you know, historically accurate knowledge. And it, I just, that's just, I, I think it's a powerful tool for, you know, that, uh, you know, some people may kind of, you know, some certain people may overlook is, you know, you're just throwing shiny rocks and, you know, swinging daggers and shooting guns at, you know, tentacled octopus men and whatnot. And, you know,
0: what are you really doing? But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, that's a fantastic observation. So, so some, some GMs prohibit um, mobile devices at their games or ask them to be turned off. Or, I tell you what, I love to have them at my table because if somebody asks a question, Wikipedia is a wonderful source of information about, you know, what happened, what happened in Shanghai in 1926, or. You know. No, you're
1: not. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I let my players have their mobile devices. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, if they're sitting there and. Surfing Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, in the book of faces, and not paying attention to the game—that's when I
0: get a little <laughs> irked. But well, that's when the tentacle comes up and wraps around them, and yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> smacks
1: them, smacks them on the backside a few times just to remind them pay attention.
0: Yeah, but,
2: I,
1: I get the radical questions of,
2: "Was there aerosol hairspray in 1920?" And I'm like, "Why?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, where
0: thrower? are we going
2: with this? Where are we Blank going thrower? with this? You know, <laughs> and of course, you know, I have to find those certain things out. But yeah, it, it's there's nothing wrong with with having the, that there, even if it's just, you know, they search up a, a picture of what 1920s Shanghai looks like. Because, you know, as, as much as I could describe it, you know, uh, in so many words, just, you know, sometimes just the words, the pictures do so much more to kind of help them, you know. Um, right. Or, a, or you a, throw- deeply
1: Right. Or you throw the idea like they don't know what a opium pipe looks like or a junk or,
0: you know, uh, or, or you mentioned or, a particular or, building or the imperial seal or, right. you know, um, yeah, it, it helps to, to to be able to find images on uh, Wikipedia or on the Internet and it helps to be able to reference something You um, say, oh, no, this is a real thing. Um, and I tell you what, from a horror perspective, there's nothing better than the players finding out that, um, that the green gang is a real gang, (laughs) you know, Uh, (laughs) and that, that, and that very intimidating gangster that, that just threatened them is, was a real person and, um, was very powerful. Um, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, when you can shock somebody with a piece of history and legitimately scare them make them think, wow, that's, that's heavy.
1: That's that Absolutely. bit of historical learning with mm-hmm. the game element married up in a nice uh, nice little package with a neat little bow where you taught them something that they didn't potentially didn't know, and you used it to good effect in the game, especially in a game like Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu or you know any kind of horror game right where you just you just shocked them and scared them yeah, uh, all at the same time. <laughs> um, mission accomplished. I don't want to say, how do you, do you have any advice? Um, Cause we all, so this is, you know, it's 2022. We all look at things from uh, with, with a modern lens, right? We all, we all have our ideas of what things are and whether it be culturally or politically today, right? The here and the now, but things in, we keep using Shanghai as an example, but it's a great example. Right, because that was 1920s. Right, in right. in um, the Sassoon files, mm-hmm. in the 1920s, things were very, very different than they are in the 2020s.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah so
0: that's a, that's a wonderful question. Go ahead. I not
1: No, uh, no. Um, I was just going to say, how do you have any advice on how to temper looking at historical realities? Uh without um I'm trying to phrase this properly. (laughs) Without um imposing uh modern sensibilities. Sensibilities. Yeah. I I guess that's that's the right word. Yeah,
0: that's a really wonderful question. And let me let me try to blunder through it a little bit. Sure. (laughs) I got my own answers, but sure. I, I, I was recently at a Seder dinner um hosted by my partner Jesse. Mm -hmm. and at at the end of the seder dinner there's a small prayer and the prayer goes about you know we're celebrating or remembering the liberation of the jewish people on this night and but while we go home our very last prayer the last thing we're going to think about is all around us there are people still in chains people still enslaved and mistreated or or not given you know equal rights and so we're going to pray for them too we want everybody to to be liberated um That um, is a core um, moral feature for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to think about how we can liberate people around the world and um, uh, regardless of whatever political identity or whatever viewpoint or whatever the color of their skin or whatever their ancestry, I I want to liberate people. And and I think that when I play games, I bring that as a moral compass. And and if if I sit down with somebody who doesn't share that particular view, They're not a good match for my table right um so with that in in the background um then your question is well now how do you parse through the fact that 1920s had you know was it at certain places a terrible time and bad things happened and were gonna happen and um and there's a lot of bigotry uh in that time period you know maybe maybe there's a sign on the on the on a park that says you know uh no dogs and no chinese right um so so, the answer part of the answer is you can't whitewash it you can't mm-hmm. just pretend it didn't happen because that's a worse that's a worse crime um you know it, 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 that's saying you know if you if you um if you you know don't learn from your history you're doomed to repeat it there's right. that's very much true um and and think about that in the context of a, of a of a fantasy setting where there's no history involved at all right um let's say you decide. I like, I like Egypt, and I like pyramids, and I want to have a story about Egypt and pyramids. And then you, you introduce a pantheon, and then you decide, you know what? It'd be pretty cool if we had some, uh, since we've got Egypt in a real time period, in a real place, why don't we introduce you know, the Israelite tribes uh, to the story? And then if you decided suddenly, oh, but there was no enslavement, we're not going mm-hmm. to talk about enslavement, well, then you've got a problematic situation because you've done a disservice to, to, to the Jewish people and to history and um, you've whitewashed something or you've engaged in some kind of denialism or maybe unintentionally, maybe it was completely right. unintentional, but mm-hmm. damn, you're there. You've got a, you've got a very, you know, very real you know, moral problem there with, mm-hmm. your, with your setup. And so my first bit of advice for, and most important part of my answer to your question is, whatever you do, don't pretend it didn't happen. Okay, okay, that's the first piece. Um, The second piece is make sure that um, you don't take um, the existence of vampires, for example, and use that as a way to explain the atrocities that humans commit. Right? right, I mean, that's absolutely fair. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Right. So uh, and and we've seen that in our in our you know, our hobby. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, um, so at least that's the, the beginning of my answer. Um, I'd like to turn the question around a little bit though, mm-hmm. um, because both of you have similar sensibilities, uh, I mm-hmm. think from our correspondence Yep. and and I'd like to get some advice from you. What, what kinds of things should we do to make sure that, um, that we don't engage in bigotry or allow bigotry to happen at our table? Yep. Um, okay. Well, um, um I'll go first. Uh- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, Spotlight Scott. on you. Spotlight. <laughs> Woo. Um, so first and foremost, I mean, I think it's important. Uh, one thing I learned early on when I was going for my, uh, both of my master's degrees in, in my history disciplines, that we all have to accept the reality that we are human. We all have bias. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your ethnicities are, your sexual orientations, anything. We, you, as a person, as a living being, have a have bias of some sort. Mm -hmm. So, acknowledging that and accepting that you have some sort of bias, whatever that is, is first and foremost. Now, once you acknowledge that you have a bias, is that's if you acknowledge that you have bias, you have to be willing to shelve your bias, whatever that bias is. and so when it comes to gaming, don't, like you said, don't whitewash stuff. I mean, me as somebody who has spent hours and hours and years working on academic stuff in, in history disciplines and doing research and stuff, you know, I, I can look at stuff. I, I spent countless hours researching the Holocaust, the World War II Holocaust. That was my focus of uh, both of my disciplines and you know i I came away from that experience admittedly with with some new bias
0: <laughs> um,
1: it, i mean it is what it is it's a that that for me that was a byproduct of my research i've been to dachau i've been to uh i've been into the archives i i've been to the the holocaust museum in d c um you know uh, it, 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 for, for Keith, it is a byproduct of that research. So when I play games that have like historical settings in World War II, I am very cognizant of my, my biases related to uh, Nazi Germany, uh, to Russia, uh, Stalin, Stalinistic Russia, and the atrocities committed by both sides. And I I have to make sure that when I am playing a game or running a game in those, in those eras that I am cognizant of my own biases and that I, uh, I internally acknowledge those and I don't um, bring those to the forefront as a, as a player or as a, or as a game master in, in negative ways, you know, that would potentially impact other players. Like if, if the story is legitimately following history and let's just say the, the players, cause I've played a world war II game where we played paratroopers. We were uh, jumping in to liberate a, what we thought was a POW camp. It turned out to be, I got totally flustered on this subject. That's not the Delta green game you're talking about. No, 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 okay. no. It was a, um, Operation White Box, World War II Operation White Box game. It was a okay. old school D and D esque game, but we were we were dropping in to liberate a um, basically a prisoner, not a prisoner of war camp, but a work camp, a Jewish work camp, and forced labor camp. That's what it was. that's the word I was looking for, or words I was looking for. And I had to remember my biases and not get very very angry. Keith did not want to get very very angry at the table. Right. Um,
0: yeah, so, so. so there, there are clearly some topics that shouldn't be brought to the table. Um, right. and, and then certainly, um, there are times when the table isn't mature enough to handle some topics and there are some tables where the table's really ripe and ready for that. Right. right. So, um, you know, so I think you need to evaluate, uh, whether or not it's appropriate for the table. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. part of, that's part of the answer, right?
1: Yeah, right. It absolutely oh, yeah. is. Like this table was ready for it. And, and I was ready for it because I knew once the, the scene was laid out and I, and I acknowledged internally, I acknowledge, I recognized what it was and I've been playing and running games for 30 odd years. Mm-hmm. I can adjust on the fly. Cause I know, I know what my, my biases are. So I was able to adapt and adjust me and my play style on the fly. And I rolled right with it not everybody is able to do that and some people some things trigger people mm-hmm. and you know knowing uh, so advice wise for game masters i would say know your players know what what things they are comfortable with um but at the same time i do think gaming is a is a good way from a from a learning perspective just like uh, to challenge people right? Okay, in, in a constructive way, just like college or a university, it should challenge people to think outside of their, like when they're young, they're, they're taught to think in these boxes that their parents taught them to think in generally. But college should teach you to start thinking outside that box mm-hmm. and breaking the molds that you, you might not otherwise, ha- or that you grew up in. And it's time to think outside of that. And, and games can do the same things in terms
0: of histor- history and historical context. So, so, so I, have, I have two thoughts to, to mm-hmm. add to that. The first one is as a player um, and not as necessarily as a GM, but as a player, um, if you're not sure uh, you know, that you're going to come out on this ride or you're not sure you know, that you're going to be the good guy, well, then be the good guy. Be the person who's looking to liberate the oppressed. If you play, and and throughout history, even in the darkest of times, there are people who who were liberators. And as a keeper, um, if you're going to set your players up, and you're worried about it, set them up so that they're doing the thing that is morally correct. And you know is morally correct today, even if in 1920 or you know or whatever time period that wasn't necessarily obvious to everybody, you know, uh, on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. So that's my first thought. Um. My my second thought is, look, this environment where we set up a set of possible things and we play around with these ideas, it, it's, a, it's a you know it's an opportunity to explore moral dilemmas, right? Um, and I'm talking about moral dilemmas in the classical you know ethics, the the, the philosophy of morality sense. Right? right. Um, how do you want to know? How do you figure out whether or not the behavior is right or wrong? Well, you hypothetically test it you, you create a moral dilemma and then you ask yourself what's the appropriate behavior i tell you what if, if you've got a table full of murder hobos and you want to fix that the easiest way to do that is throw out throw a legitimate moral dilemma at them and then sit down and make them think through it right, <laughs> right. you're not right. you're
2: not wrong right
1: <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs>
2: So I'll I'll piggyback off of Keith. My mine probably is not going to be as in depth because um, to be perfectly honest, I haven't had to deal in situations such as that. Um, you know, as much as Keith has. Um, you know, my, the diversity of my games. You know, tend to have become, you know, a l- lot more interesting later in life as opposed to younger, where it literally was just kick down the door, and you know, grab my treasure and move on. Uh, or, you know, or if we were dealing with horror, it was, how can we destroy this horror as quick as we can? But, but as of late, I I think a, a good example of it for me is like, you know, dealing with aspects of that is, is the character that I played in, in children of fear was, uh, was an English academic woman, uh, who was going over to the university in Peking in 1920s. Now. Was could that be a possibility? Absolutely, it, but the chance of it, it would have been, in, in, at least it, as it's stated within the book, you know, probably slim to none. But it's not hundred percent, you know, inaccurate. And it was brought up, and it was, you know, it's brought to your attention. Just so you know, you know, this is this is a character you're playing, but this is how things, you know, were technically like back then. But it wasn't front and center. It was just we were, you know, I was made aware of it. But it wasn't like my character, you know, I didn't have to spend the entire game struggling with adversity uh, just to participate in a Cthulhu Mythos game. Uh, it may have come come up every once in a while, and it was, you know, but there was a way that at least GM made a way, made it more of a gaming aspect, not just a brick wall. Um, and and I think that's you know that that's true in most things when when you're dealing with that is as you had said said. You know, don't, don't ignore the fact, don't do it a disservice to how things were, you know, make people aware, make this a, a learning experience, but don't use it as a crutch and don't make people struggle with aspects like that just because I, I and, and I may be totally just, just, you know, describing this you know, incorrectly, but you know, you're, you're trying to make a point. You know the, yeah, this I, is how I, it this is how it is and you know I,
1: yeah
0: you know, i think so. you're right i i think a gm that just puts up a barrier is not treating his players fairly um right but i also think that um uh that the easiest way for a player to really understand the plight of another person is to put themselves or try to the best of their ability to put themselves in their shoes which is what right. role-playing is mm-hmm. so what better way to also teach people not to be racist or not to be bigots you know, to put yourself in in the, in the shoes of somebody who's oppressed, right? And then, and then the last thought I have on this is, throughout, and to tie it back to our topic, throughout history, you know who the real heroes are? They're the the people who you know were in adverse situations, and you know. Uh, the, the, the female um, professor of archaeology who made it to the field and, and discovered something. The, the, the lawyer like – right now we're playing a game. Um, mm-hmm. I'm playing a game with a, with a group of guys that is set in Morocco uh, just prior to World War II. Mm-hmm. And um, Helen Benatar, uh, who is a Moroccan lawyer, pretty well-known uh, important uh, figure mm-hmm. who did a lot of great things, is front and center in our story. Mm-hmm. um one of the things that you can do with historical settings is go out and find those really interesting real life heroes and and you know bring them you know to being whether whether that's done as an npc or as a player character you know you can do it both ways but the idea is these are real real life heroes let's put a spotlight on them fantastic absolutely I love absolutely it
2: Yeah. Stop talking over me, Keith. We spoke about this. Uh, (laughs) Oh my God, we did. I know. Great. We're going to get it. We're going to get a strongly worded email from, Bud again, God damn it. Uh, but, but yeah, no, 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 this, and this is, you know, this is all at least for me intriguing and fantastic, not just information, but, but advice and, and, um, but you know, I think we, you know, kind of maybe have come to another, you know, juncture where, you know, maybe we want to swing it in, in another direction. So, so Keith, is, is there another aspect? And and not that I'd I find this, you know, in any way, um, you know, a, an appropriate conversation, but uh, let's, let's, let's bring up bring it up a little bit. Let's maybe, you know, talk about some, you know, a little bit more lighthearted aspects of so what, okay.
1: do, what do you have um, to add? I want to talk about, so you, you guys, uh, you and your your business partner, have uh, something you guys use in all of the the books that I own. I own several of your products. I own the Sassoon Files, Journal of the Indochine, and uh, Between the Devil and the Deep. Scott. Uh, uh, Blue Sea. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> have you have you
2: made Jason aware of our ongoing? You know, I, I heard it. I, I've okay. already heard it. And, and uh, I
0: we're have not the, the only dip. ones. I have the same issue, but my partner sometimes has a strong opinion on things, and this was one Got of them. God, it. yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of our ongoing running.
1: Sometimes you just gotta,
0: you know, know when to yield and just you know give the right away. Yeah, between the devil and the deep. Blue sea, yeah. It's right. Said with love, though it is. It's said with
1: love. Um. So, but you guys use in the books. Uh, you guys use lore sheets, and I, because I owned I own all the books. I've worked with the books in some capacity, and I've read all the book, bu- all of the books. I understand what their intent is, but it's, but it's not something that we see in other products. So, if you if you wouldn't yeah. mind kind of giving listeners uh,
0: uh, kind oh, of a, an overview of what they are and what their intent is. You know what the worst thing at gaming, one of the worst things that can happen at a, at a gaming table is the GM says, I have this really cool setting. I want to introduce it to you. And then he goes on to read three or four pages and 30 minutes later, you haven't done any role-playing yet. Oh my, my God, yeah. <laughs> um, that problem that gets exacerbated, the more um, exotic or difficult the setting is. So if you're playing, you know, a licensed property, Star Wars, everybody knows the setting and you don't have to go into what's going on on, you know, Naboo. Um, Right. People just know. Right. right. Um, But once you start getting into something like, um, so Journal of the is a great example. Um, Some of us have a pretty good understanding of what happened during the American Vietnam uh, conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the war uh, against America and American imperialism and oppression right um, but prior to that so prior to the United States really entering that war there was a really there was an interesting series of conflicts happening uh, and which was you know French occupied Vietnam or French Indochine and mm-hmm. um, and you know a lot of people just don't have that kind of historical background they don't come to the table but you don't want to exclude them you want to play in this space but this space um is maybe you just don't have a lot of information about it so the gm has the problem of you know dumping info he has to get info into the hands of your player and do so quickly and in a way that doesn't allow the player to disengage a way that keeps the player engaged in, in the activity one way to do that is to break up that information um and to to use handouts or to use lore sheets where you've got a little piece of relevant information that the player can read and then you relate it to the character the second so so lore sheets have two components generally speaking they have a Mm -hmm. a a, um, settings information piece which in the context of a history game it's going to be historical okay Um, and then it has a second component which is the way that that information is related to the to the player character so the player character give you an example there was a green gang it controlled um you know opium trade uh in shanghai and it was run by uh Pac Mark huang mm-hmm. okay that's the historical settings piece of information below it uh i grew up on the streets stealing oranges with Pac Mark huang mm. so that's how i'm related to that piece of historical information and then you say all right this this gives depth to your character and it gives depth to your character instantly. And over right. the course of the game, you have an interaction with the green gang that the person that has that lore sheet can say, oh, I know what the green gang is. I know who the leader of the green gang is. Maybe I can make an arrangement. I, I used to know him when I was a child. Maybe I can play on that to get an audience with him to have a conversation. And so yes. the lore sheet is a mechanism for providing a lot of information, but also deepening your your, your game setting.
2: right. Oh, God, I, I like the games said that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like
1: them. I like what they do. I like how they give you um, a handful of information distilled down into a very small, concise, bite-sized piece mm-hmm. that is easy to understand, easy to digest, and quick to read. But then you also have that bit where you... It, it connects your player character to that event or person, place, or thing and to the story. So it kind of makes this triangular effect. Mm-hmm. And then it's also something that it's a narrative element that you can tap into once or twice or whatever, depending on what it is throughout the story. Um, so it's, it, it's kind of threefold in a way. Um, yes, exactly. I like them. And, I, and like Scott said, I wish more games had something like that to pass that information along from a keeper or game master to the player.
2: Well, I, I do like the idea of and this is, you know, this is a GM's perspective of putting some of the onus onto your players. Like here's here's, you know, here's your homework, you know, learn this next time we meet and it's going to make the game so much better. They're not coming to me at every single session, you know, like you know, like children in first grade waiting for me to teach them a lesson. They're 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 prepared. They're ready to engage, and therefore, it sounds like something that would make it so much easier in 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 regards to a lot of different games, especially where you know, when something like you know, the Sassoon files or you know, Journal Indochine, we don't have the ability to go well it's like star Wars and they could go, Oh, it all makes sense. You know that now I don't have to worry about anything else or, or, you know, or it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like this, it's like that. So having those sheets, you know, just, just, you know, puts it onto them and it rolls the same thing as D and D, you know, you know, I cast, you know, this it's like, well, what does that spell do? Oh, <laughs> God, I hate that.
1: So, I get yeah, that I mean, with my 10 year old granddaughter, who's just yeah. learning D and D what, what, mm-hmm. what does that spell do, Papa? Well, let, let's let look it up and let's learn it so you right. understand it. She's 10. I, right. I shouldn't have to tell the 30-year-old what the spell does when they own the damn spell book or
0: the, <laughs> whatever book the spell comes. You own the book. Read it. Right. You yeah, know? But, but, yeah, but Keith, in a year, that kid's going to be telling the 30-year-old how it actually works. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm I'm in a, I'm I'm playing. I just started D and D with my 11 year old and Mm -hmm. I'm playing with my good friend, Ben Sanders and his two kids. And so it's a game designed for, you know, for children, but it's an introduction D and D game and it's, you know, um, and we've got a player who has a copy of the monster manual.
1: (laughs) Ah, yes. There we go.
0: I already see where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh,
1: oh, hell it does. What? Oh no, I don't like it has that. has
0: 125 hit points. We run away.
1: <laughs> oh no, we don't. Oh, yeah. Meta gaming, yeah. But no, I, I I appreciate the the explanation of the lore sheets. Um I like I said, I wish more people would use them. I, I've done something like those in the past, myself as a just as a game master, I've taken little historical bits and information bits. Uh, even from published scenarios or campaigns, even when it was D&D, when mm-hmm. I thought it was useful information for my players, I would, I would take snippets and you know, pass them to my players and go, hey, here's a little bit of context information or setting information I think you, your character would, would need to know or want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: so let, let's talk about lore sheets mechanically for a second. If, okay. if all yeah. it is is a piece of information, your player has less incentive to use it. But if you add a, bone, a boon to it, if you say there's a narrative component, uh, do you know this person? You don't have to roll for it. Do you have the lore sheet that says you know the person? Then you get to use it. Or maybe you allow the, the lore sheet to be tapped or count as if you're playing Trail of Cthulhu, then it's a point in a, in a pool of points. Mm-hmm. If you're playing Call of Cthulhu, maybe it's you know, plus 5% accounting or plus 5% persuade or whatever whatever sure, skills sure. Are relevant to it. But the point is, is that one thing that you can do to make the lore sheet even more attractive is add a little mechanical boon to it for your players as an incentive. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Because then it's, it's not a, it's not, here's my homebrew folder. Now learn this before you come back. It's, it's, you know, it, there's a reason why you want to do it and they want to do it. And, and, the, and one thing I'm going to point out, especially to the listeners here is, is I agree with Keith, but the, the, I, one thing I love about this, uh, you know, with the Sons of Singularity games is the lore sheets are done. So as, as a GM, as a keeper, as someone who just, you know, anything to alleviate prep, um, thank you for doing the heavy lifting for us because otherwise that's the extra work we have to do. And I love games like that, you know, not, not just handouts, but, you know, here's something different that's helpful, that's going to make your life so much easier. And, oh, thank God god you know it's just it just it's just wonderful to see that, that that kind of consideration uh with games you can tell someone has run several games when they're producing these extra you know fiddly bits within their things to make a, <laughs> a keeper's yeah. life easier not necessarily a player so we,
0: we you know we should say that one of the downsides to historical settings is that you could get it wrong and they require some research mm-hmm. so there's some research up front um The upside to that, though, is that when you have an understanding of kind of what happened, you can extrapolate. So if you're having, you know, if you if you have difficulty coming up with an answer while on the fly, Mm -hmm. this is a solution for you. If you did your research on what's going on, then you just sit back and say, well, I know this to be true, so I can extrapolate and answer that player's question. So, um, you know, there's a trade-off. There might be more uh, GM prep up front, but there's mm-hmm. better rewards down the, yes. you know. So um, let's let's talk about another uh, mechanism. So you've got okay. information that you want to dump, uh, mm-hmm. maybe historical information that you want your players to know about, yep. Um, yep. and you don't want to read three pages of text. Um, and you've got enough lore sheets out there, you don't want to force your players to read a book to play your game. Uh, There's another technique that you can use to um, provide a bit of historical context. Mm -hmm. And this is a flashback into the shoes of somebody that was there. So instead of saying, you know, here's your player character and your stats, you either hand a a pre gen, or you hand uh, a piece of paper with two or three sentences about the character, and you run one scene that happened in the past at this historical event, and you have the players play it out. What do they do? Um, and suddenly you've got information about the game setting inside your story without requiring you to just read pages of information. What do you think about that?
2: I. I like that. I I lo- and I love the idea. I am familiar with something like that. So what you're saying is it's just just a scene to kind of keep the game moving. We're not stopping the train to run an entire scenario <laughs> with it within, within the French Revolution and then 8 months later come back.
1: I love we're that. Going, <laughs> we're not going to Turkey
2: with the red fez. <laughs> right, exactly. So no, I, I that's a fantastic idea. I I am I'm a I'm a you know a big fan of you know, of diversifying your game like that. So to, to mix it up, to kind of keep them on their toes, to keep things interesting. So it's not just we're doing the same thing game after game, after game, after, game after session, after session. I like that. I like that idea a lot. So,
1: yeah, I like, I like the, so when um, <clears throat> Horror on Orient Express uses the, the, the flashback scenarios, right? Uh, they're, they're a little excessive. They're fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, but they're long. Uh, but shorter things where you can, like you said, you know, take, a, take, your, take your players, give them a shortened character sheet or just the, the things that the information they need to play out the scene, maybe two scenes and bam, or, or maybe a little bit longer scene and they play it out. But it's, a, it's an opportunity for you as the, the game master to convey the information that they need in the current setting, the the current um, timeline that they're in, but it's coming from the past, you know, I, 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 I like those things. I, whether they're, they're slipping, you know, backwards in these longer, I guess Mm -hmm. that would be a flashback or flashing sideways a little bit to the left, um, you know, in the timeline and just maybe going back, Ten or twenty years, or a few years, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. or fifty or a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, but those types of things are great to to convey that those bits of information mm-hmm. if they can be done two ways, short and exciting. So,
0: in the Sassoon files, there's a scenario that I co-wrote with Dan Bass called uh, "Let Sleeping Dogs Lie." The very first scene is a flashback to a real historical event which was the the raiding of the tomb of the empress dowager so that that tomb was broken into and and rifled through and that's the beginning of our scenario but it's done as a flashback and the and you play people who break into the tomb and of course it's a horror story so it's a tpk You all die terribly and that's the beginning of the story Oh, um, so bad. you've got the historical I thought background. that's what you might be alluding Your to.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so I mean you it's exciting, it's fast, it, you know, you get that TPK effect. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just one scene and it's quick. Oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah, those,
2: I I, those I agree guys. with you Keith. No, I I was just I was just saying I agree with you. You know, don't don't stretch it out longer than than necessary. It's just you know, it's 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 such I don't know. It's it's something that I'm I, I can think of using it in other games that, you know, if I was running something else that would just add so much to it and, and not just horror, not just Call of Cthulhu, but but any game, any game in, in, in regards to that, if there's a necessity or a reason for it. So I right. need, to, need to make a mental note of that.
1: I mean, just, so. just off the top of my head, I mean, so Scott and I built like this little like lengthy, it's called a laundry list, but it's really not a laundry list. It's lengthy list of like <laughs> games that have historical elements to it, right? But I'm just looking at a few that I put up on our Slack, right? Mm-hmm. That I think I could use like flashbacks, like single scene, fast action oriented flashbacks to convey information mm-hmm. for players on a modern timeline like um, Twilight 2000, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we all know what, if you're not familiar with Twilight 2000, but I think we all are sitting here in the Zoom call. Right. Um, you know but you could you could flash back to before nuclear holocaust happened right and convey some some critical bits of information and then boop, you pop back over to the to the current timeline the players are on and now the players now and well the characters now have a little bit of a, a wider range of context to the to their situation mm-hmm. you know or something like night witches which happens to be a, a, a a favorite of mine. I enjoy that mm-hmm.
0: game, Jason Morningstar. Uh,
1: yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, I love the idea of of the female night witches, uh, Russian uh, bomber pilots.
0: Also, also, clearly, a, a story, a historical role playing game. It's really squarely in that in that spot. Oh, uh, it
1: is absolutely in that space, and it it, it does have a takes a it, it is squ- absolutely squarely historical, but it, it does take a little bit of. Liberal license mm-hmm. to make it work. Uh, but it is like 90% historical, just about 10% liberal license. But I can see like even some historical flashback scenes being applied to that mm-hmm. outside of the powered by the apocalypse engine. Uh being applied to that could even be used to good effect. Mm-hmm. Um so
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of potential. Those those types of scenes have a lot of potential uh, across across the gaming space. It doesn't matter what the genre is, right? Um, horror, history, fantasy, sci-fi. Um, oh god, space es- opera. It doesn't matter. Espionage,
2: you know. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's just it, it, that kind of thing. Begs for stuff like that, you know. It's just Tingleverse. Maybe, it don't matter. You know what? You, you had to go there. I did. Um, you know, the, I did. This, this interview's over. Good night, everyone.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh <boy. laughs>
2: no, no, we, 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 uh, we, we kid, we kid. I don't, I, I really, I, with all the stuff that we do with this, I, one morning I'm going to wake up and there's going to be, I'm speaking of a strongly worded email. There may be, you know, from, you know, Chuck Tingle at Tingleverse.com and just like, you know, <laughs> Hey, heard you've been talking about my game and just, you know, next uh, thing we just, know,
1: Chuck Tingle's going to be on Titter Pigs.
2: Or if he just wants to run it and save me the hassle of having to prepare for this game, that would, that would be awesome. So So, Chuck, if you're listening, you will run, if you want to run tingle first for us, by all means, I will yield (laughs) the chair to you. Um, But yes. So sorry, Keith, go on.
1: No, um, I think, um, I think we're at a good spot unless uh, to kind of wrap up. uh, But I do have one last question, unless you want to, that's not related to our, uh, historical topics, Jason, mm-hmm. unless you got another area you want to delve into. And by all means we can.
0: Yes. Um, I, you know, there's a few things I'd like to say on the bottom of our conversation, but yeah, absolutely uh, let's do it. Uh, but um, you had one more question and then let's see if I can link those other things there.
1: <laughs> well, I wanted to ask uh, more for our listeners, but partially selfishly for Scott and I, uh, if you were willing to spill the beans on what uh, the Sons of the Singularity have coming up in the pipeline,
0: that's a really good question. Because um, <laughs> um, inquiring working, minds want to know. We, we, we've got a couple things in the. So queue. does my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Uh, we're working on a soon-to-be-announced project with Chaosium. Okay. What oh, I can cool. tell you is that the all of the writers, the entire mm-hmm. team, resides in Japan. Okay. fantastic Fantastic. Fantastic. now is that the only
1: thing i will ask since i know that i think you're holding that one close to the to the test rightfully um is that going to be published that project will be published through the sons of the singularity or will it be published through chaosium in that partnership
0: um that's a good question it's being co-published so chaosium will will print the books and release them okay um, so we're, we're, cool. we're, writing, we're writing the content, uh, in close partnership with Chaosium and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, we have the benefit of having access to that team. Um, you know, it's great if, if I, if we have questions about, you know, do you think this art will work or, you know, is, is this appropriate? Uh, we can go to Mike Mason and his team and say, you know, give us the, the, the benefit of your wisdom, give us some guidance. Um, so nice. this is a, this is a you know, a really exciting project for us.
2: So I'm excited. Now I will point out that one of our listeners, Fabio is going to be absolutely, you know, upended and upset that you have Mike Mason's ear and he has yet to gain it. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not sure.
0: <laughs> I
2: know, but yeah, he, there's, there's, once again, there's an, there's an ongoing inside joke. I won't bore you with it, but, but Fabio, I'm sure <laughs> you, when you hear this, you, you should have yourself a good old chuckle. So, um, but um, wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, but it's, it's,
0: it's such a cool project, you know, right. to, to, to have, you know, the, the industry heavyweight, um, you know, willing to work with us and give us guidance and help us uh, bring to market this, what, what I think would be a really great product. That's that's really exciting for us. So that's that's the big thing uh, soon to be announced. Um, mm-hmm. but I, Fantastic. I, I, well, I wait mm-hmm. with bated breath. Um, and then the second thing we're working on, um, you know, we kind of have this rule. Um, what do they say about writers? Um, write what you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, role-playing publishers, indie publishers really should publish what they play. And if you're not playing it, you know, don't publish it. Uh, because it yeah, hasn't been just played and maybe you're not familiar with how it works or maybe you think it works, but it doesn't. Um, so what happens for us at Suns is we do a lot of role playing and sometimes we, we stumble upon something that we think is good enough to, to bring uh, to the public. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a, I'm playing in a game right now um, uh, that is set in uh, North Africa. Uh, just prior, it starts just prior to world war two. Um, I'm a player. I'm not quite sure where it ends yet, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, that creative team um, is uh, Patrick Chandler, Francis uh, Aquadrone, and Dan Bass, who Mm -hmm. I'm taking to calling the Gastown Games guys because um, two of those members reside in uh, Vancouver, uh, Mm -hmm. British Columbia. Right. And um, that game is a campaign uh, from... Much in the same way, say, Massive Massif Thotep is from mm-hmm. you know, beginning to end, um, and it has a lot of potential. It's a really interesting setting, um, and uh, you know, we'll see where where that goes. I, I think we're going to want to bring that to market. And and are you playing that using Call of Cthulhu rules, Gumshoe, or that that's in Call of Cthulhu? Okay. Um, and and so you know, I we play everything, but mm-hmm. uh, my groups tend to focus on on gumshoe mm-hmm. call of cthulhu mm-hmm. um occasionally there's because of legacy there's some uh there's some tables with the way where we play vampire some yeah. variation of vampire uh, of course d d um but but i mean i played twilight 2000 i played you know um but these are the these are the games that we're playing right now mm-hmm. um and so we want to publish in the same space the same space of, of you know where we're, where our interests are right
1: i'm excited
2: Yes, and I know Bud is too, and and
1: <laughs> and and I
2: just want to point out just briefly, um, you know, that uh, I'm sure you're aware of Bud from Bud RPG Review, uh, and he said it on on you know on his channel and also on all of the social medias, but he likes to point out consistently that that the Sons of Singularity run the hands down best Kickstarter fulfillment ever that he's been through so just want to give you a little bit of a credence and shout out and just want to make sure that if i can make you blush a little bit i can't tell because of the sun are red
0: there you go
1: perfect
2: perfect <laughs> i can
1: kind
0: of tell
2: right so but i I won't, I won't drag it out drag you through the mud with that but i just just want to you know just throw that your way a little bit and just know that yeah yeah we're ahead,
0: grateful so. you, you know yeah. without without kickstarter we can't bring our products to market, right? right? The Kickstarter funds everything. And and, fun, and one of the most important things that it funds is editing services, mm. right? And I can't <laughs> say without, you know, how Plenty many of those. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, there, there are a ton of products that come to market that have not been properly edited. Uh, finding a good editor is hard to do. Um, so for those listening to the cast, I'm going to toot Keith's horn a little bit. Uh, Keith is a fantastic editor. Mm-hmm. and oh, uh, and uh, we like to we like to work with him and if you are looking for somebody who can do a good job and understands the industry uh keith's your man
1: well i See, appreciate when, no i i sincerely appreciate the the shout out and the kudos my friend
2: and, and when keith gets embarrassed the top of his head turns red so it
0: does uh, especially because <laughs> it's shaved now it's bald <laughs> Um, uh, so, so. And, and, it, and it's shaped for cancer awareness, right? Yes. Uh, it is. Um,
1: I shaved my head, um, few weeks back and I'm going to keep doing it for another few weeks while my buddy goes through chemotherapy, mm-hmm. uh, after he had his cancer surgeries. Uh, I had told his wife while he was in recovery that when he started chemo, I would shave my head in solidarity while he went through chemo. So he started when he started chemo. Uh, two days later, I came home from work, shaved my head, and I've kept it shaved ever
0: since. So uh, sending sending uh, good wishes and speedy recovery to your friend. Yeah.
1: Thank you. I will make sure that he listens to this episode because um, I know we I know he does listen to him, but I will make sure that he specifically listens to this one. So I know he'll appreciate it. Um, last right. word I got from him, though, was uh, all the tests have come back that he is cancer free. So Excellent. Fingers crossed Excellent. that it stays that way for uh, for the remainder of his uh, hopefully natural long life. So yeah. shout outs to Pat. Woo! Hey, Pat. <laughs> so, but um, thanks for spilling but, the beans on your, uh, on your pipeline, my friend. Yes,
0: absolutely. I, I do have uh, one other um, absolutely question. One other question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it, it could, would, you know, it's a good conclusion to the, mm-hmm. the topic of, um, Historical RPGs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what and don't don't mention my products. Okay. Besides okay. Of the singularity. Yep. What are your favorite historical RPGs? Ooh, glad I made that list. Ooh, Sky, you can take point <laughs> on this one. Here's
2: that
1: spotlight, buddy.
2: So okay, so and. You can kind of get you, know, you and Keith, right? So give me the thumbs up or thumbs down as to, you know, if this falls into that category, because I know some definitely will and some definitely won't. And, and, I'm, not, and I'm not going to name them all because I know Keith is going to have some that we have in common. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to start with an older one that I discovered uh, a couple of years ago that isn't necessarily historical accurate, but I like, the, like where it takes place in the Elizabethan period, the, the, the old Maelstrom RPG um you know that 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 came out 1980s written by you know a, a a teenage englishman i think um and it's and it's not you know 100% historically accurate but it is a way to kind of enjoy that period of time with a low level of magic and more focus on other mechanics within that
1: period i'd say it's about as historic as pendragon Ben, and I love Pendragon.
2: <laughs> I would I me and others would probably disagree with that to a certain degree. Um
1: you can take what, me out back and what my right. ass later.
2: <laughs> and not 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 to take too long of this, I there's there's another one that I will point out that is near and dear to my heart. And I know for a fact that it's probably not that historically accurate, but it is the Celtic Campaign book for Dungeons and Dragons second edition only because i in the infinite wisdom of a teenage boy in high school thought i could do a essay in my history class entirely based <laughs> on the information in that book and
0: every time you boy, tell a story i laugh you've, you've woo just woo proven woo. you've just proven us wrong you cannot teach history to <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, this was second edition D&D, you know, so yeah, there really wasn't a lot of effort to kind of, you know, make it as accurate as possible. But yeah, I did take trade bits and pieces of that and was told, where did you get this information from? And ultimately had to throw the splat book as it splatted onto the desk and go, "And this is where I did it. There was a good laugh and, you know, I ended up, you know, with passing with a C uh, rather than (laughs) completely failing it. But (laughs) Um, and, you know, and other than, other than that, I think the, the couple of those that, that I enjoy, um, is there's two that I have, it's it it utilizes the Mithras rule set and it's their, it's their mythic settings, uh, mythic, mythic Babylon and mythic England. Um, you know, which I think out of everything probably straddles the the, the nice mix of, you know, the the mythos of those, of, 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 you know, both of those countries and aspects and whatnot, but also, you know, providing some sort of relatively decent historical accuracy, but, but none of mine are anywhere near any sort of hard, you know, uh, central historical game. So um, I'll, I'll pass it on to you, Keith.
1: Wow. Okay. So I already mentioned one. I I really enjoy Night Witches by Jason Morningstar. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I absolutely love the idea that they bring uh, a little known organization Uh, Of female bomber pilots flying literally balsa wood biplanes uh, and dropping when they ran out of actual munitions, dropping railroad ties. I mean, and these women flew, they slept very few hours every day, flying nearly around the clock, doing a yeoman's job and just just playing the game is is an absolute treat in exploring like their real history. So um, I really enjoy that game. Uh, so that's kind of up there on the top of my list. Anything pirate related, I'm not gonna mention my uh, my new my new fancy, but um because just follow me on any of the socials. You already know. It's uh, Between the Devil and the Deep. Purple? Purple. <laughs> <laughs> um one game. Oddly enough, I'm I'm super interested in it. I've owned it twice. I just reacquired it. I've never played it. I'm still trying to read it. But damn, I'm gonna run this thing, and it's gonna become my favorite game. If even if it kills me, and it's it's pirates, and it's run out the guns by the old Iron Crown Enterprises, because it's pirates. So, and my new, um, I don't know if it's gonna be my favorite, but it's Pirates Two is Pirate Borg, um, which just recently closed oh, out wow. on Kickstarter, and uh, the beta book should deliver in May, and combat in that. Can be played with one six hundred scale miniatures, which I have. Oh, <laughs> so and then that that leads me to my other historical thing. Is uh, let me I, like actually it's not even. Me, oh, me, yes, Scott. Sex lies and ultra spies. No, no okay, that's not <laughs> it. <laughs> all right, go on. No, no, it's Tingleverse. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, uh, my other thing, it, and it's actually not role playing games, but it's historical all the same. I am absolutely a tabletop war gamer. Not, not generally not in miniatures, but in Hex Encounter and card-driven historical war games at various scales. But I love the idea that you can take with Pirate board, you can take a role-playing game and then you can have your role-playing portion. And then when it goes into a naval combat situation, it was written with the idea that you can then play it uh, with paper miniatures or with uh, 1-600 scale miniatures on the table in three dimensions. And then flip back over to playing um back into a role-playing game so mm-hmm. i love that idea hopefully that'll become my new favorite you're sensing a theme here with pirates lately <laughs> oh. arg <laughs> <Arrgh. laughs> um but the other thing that's really tripping my trigger i never got to play it when i was younger was the twilight 2000 i've got mm-hmm. the newest iteration of it uh, the fourth edition i love everything about it i love the way it reads Unfortunately, uh, given the current crisis overseas in Ukraine, I have unfortunately shelved the game until that situation has resolved, and I won't play it until that situation is resolved. But I love everything that game has to offer: the new mechanics, the stories that it tells, or you know, theoretically is is prepared to tell. So, yeah, history history games are my jam. I, I have certain like niche genres and historical games or one of them
2: let me throw God. out one more real quick because i i really want to because you know i i absolutely love this game uh but just just and i'm not going to go into too much detail but the d uh you know the essentially what what pretty much in a nutshell <laughs> what what if john d you know had his own uh you know um what if john d ran delta green back in that period kind of thing so yes, Hell it's, yeah yeah yeah, it's, it's, but I, I, I just lo- love the game and, you know, just, you know, and Paul is, is a fantastic guy. So, Paul, if you're listening, you're probably not high. Uh, <laughs> but
0: yeah. So let's, uh, so, let's give a shout out to Kenneth Heights, uh, Fall of Delta Green.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Actually, Scott and I were talking about that before we went on the air. And um, right. as a, it's just a good, even if you just sh- strip away the game. Uh, just from the book, like the book is just filled with uh, great historical information. You can walk away from that, just having a good understanding of that time period and just really good spy thriller context and crazy information and, and, and not knowing which is fact and which is fiction. And it's all good.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's an education in itself. Yes. And it,
2: and it damn well better be for the size of the book and the damn price. So, yes. <laughs> hey,
1: that 50 bucks I spent on it was well worth you it know, to, well, to edit well, the campaign well for it. Yeah. <laughs> now you better get that damn campaign out soon. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. So, because I want to run it. <laughs> I edited it. I want to run it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question. I mean, yes. you know, we threw out some good ideas. <laughs> I, I hope. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Oh no,
2: worries, no worries. Now, do you do you have one to add to it? And I know you threw out follow Delta Green, but is there one that that maybe we passed over that you're like, wow, they didn't mention that?
0: Um, no, I you okay. got the one I wanted. Great,
2: great, because I'm just, I know there's <laughs> I know there's people shouting. There, there, you know, there's, there's
0: a ton of there there's a ton of really good examples out there, and they're we could be at this whole, for hours. Five. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So,
2: well, fantastic, um, Keith. Anything else? And Cause I know we've, we've, you know, we, we promised that we would, we would get Jason out of here in 45 minutes and there was not a chance in hell yeah, that no. was ever going to happen. So no, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. it's terrible pigs. It doesn't happen, but no. um, so I'll, I'll start Jason. Thank you so much. This is, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I, 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 and I know I probably speak for Keith is, is as we are, you know, having people on the show, the one thing that I have found out is is after we end every single conversation, I hope it's not the last. Uh, I would love to have you back on here. I know Keith and I should say, I shouldn't just speak for myself, but Keith and I would love to have you back on. And, uh, you know, with whatever subject you would like to talk about. And I know there might be some people that might be interested in your perspective regarding Kickstarters, but, you know, entirely up to you on, on you, know, if, you know, whenever you want to return to the show um any subject we can tackle that's that's what we're here to uh you know for you to just bounce it off of us so
0: i I have some ideas let's uh, compare notes yeah absolutely fantastic uh we'll we'll have our uh we'll have our
1: secretary get in touch with you (laughs) have Um, your
0: secretary call my people yeah yeah
1: our people will call your people hold on where's cthulhu hold on on.
2: no hold on (laughs) no where's my wig
1: spell, or is this a call spell I don't well, this know is yet. Uh, it's me
2: finding my wig. Uh, hold it's on. It's going to depend
1: on uh, Cthulhu. It's my cat. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> cat calls? I, don't, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Have um, you have, have your people call our people? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll work it out. We'll set up a Zoom call. It's all good. But right. we'll definitely have you back. I I've enjoyed having you on here, and I've enjoyed the topic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this topic is is near and dear to my heart, right? Um, it's something I spent a lot of years in college <laughs> uh, doing, mm-hmm. but it's also a topic that's it's important in role playing games. Yes, uh, for a lot of different reasons. But it's also a topic that can, you know, as we were having, you know, can go can get pear shaped really fast.
0: And yeah, there's, there's a lot of sensitive um, elements to this topic. And yes, yes. Um, you know, uh, please edit kindly. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, 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 we did. Um,
1: I, I am, I think all of us did, did quite well in that regard. But uh, what I was going to say is this topic can get pear shaped really fast. mm -hmm. And that I think we were all very respectful of the topic sensitivities of the topic. And I think, I think listeners are going to, will will appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I think listeners, I, I hope listeners come away with the understanding that having his history, real history in your game is important but but treating it with the respect that it's due is mm-hmm. equally important, and not just pushing it aside, right, and ignoring it, mm-hmm. you know, is is also equally as important, right. And still so. try to tie it together
2: at the end, and still have fun with it. That's yes. you know that's you know at the end of the day, that's why we do the most of these games is we're here to have fun, and yes. if we walk away with a bit of knowledge, history, a perspective, of someone else who is you know not us more power to
1: us so yeah but still have fun so I, I i hope that's what listeners got out of all of this that's what i got out of all of this so right. i i i got the
2: idea that no one respects maelstrom so anyways but uh, moving <laughs> on uh well you got flashbacks <laughs> are good and lore sheets are good oh no i i yeah the <laughs> perspective the listener what the listeners are going to get is entirely from jason they're they're going to fast forward through us babbling and just listen to you know this Titter Pigs is is officially now the Jason Sheets show. Uh, and we'll go from there. but No. Yeah. So you it, say it, that it, three times fast. Show. No, I'm just kidding. I, oh, I know exactly. <laughs> uh, it's uh, look, just just a bit of information. I was at a pool party this weekend and the front of my tooth has bonding on it and it came off. So I got a chipped tooth right now. So right now my lisp I'm fighting so hard <laughs> not not to overpronounce my s's. So yeah, that that oh, lovely. So,
1: fantastic. But,
2: we won't keep you any longer. I I know I have no idea what time it is over there, uh, but uh, uh, we want to thank you so much for taking your time and, and spend it with us and to, you know, give us and the listeners a, you know, a perspective on how things are and a bit of education on, on, you know, on games and historical games themselves. So,
0: yeah, thanks man. Um, Thank you for having me. This was great.
1: Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, Have your people call our people. We'll have you back on. I know you got another topic uh, about, Publishing and Kickstarter and some advice and tips, tricks. So definitely want to have you back on for that. And where can they find you, Jason? You yeah. Know, and we'll, we'll include it in
2: the show notes, but, you know, just coming from, from yourself, where, where are some places that they can um, find you and your games?
0: They can find us at the Sons of the Singularity website.
2: Okay.
0: It is exactly like it sounds. Mm-hmm. Just Google okay. us. Of course, we're on Facebook, or if you want me individually, come find me on Facebook. Do you guys do Discord? um we play on discord um but we don't i don't monitor it the sure sure shot way of finding me is by finding the sons of the singularity email uh address and shooting me an email oh one one other point you yes. guys had a, you had a couple of um prior guests um mm-hmm. ian and alex i think yes um yep. and they mentioned um you know about how they started to work together uh, mm-hmm. About how their partnership formed and, and it's not dissimilar to the partnership that I have. At okay. the bottom of that conversation, they mentioned, you know, if you have an idea and if you have somebody out there who you, you know, respect and like what they're doing and are interested in working with them, uh, reach out to them. Um, I'm going to second that. Um, building a strategic alliance with people who are uh, you know, interested in the same things that are in our hobby, um, it's a great way to produce more content. And it's a great way to also increase your your your, your network and mm-hmm. uh, meet new and interesting people like uh, Keith and Scott.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, now Aww. I'm blushing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Scott really is red. Yeah. No, when I blush, the gray hair on my beard turns red. So um, that's, that's my thing. So uh, he's but,
1: bleeding from his beard. No, I'm just
2: kidding. But yeah, with, I, I think with that words of wisdom that, that, that I think that's a fantastic way to, to write off in the sunset. So think And yes, listeners that, that right there, you know, you know, take that and, and write with that also and go out and create, you know, your own games, your own stories and all that stuff. So Keith, you want to, you want to write us off into the sunset now and
1: all right well um yep so we are done with this episode uh so again jason on behalf of scott and i thank you for joining us for this episode of titter pigs yes take care all right wow scott that was a wicked awesome oh god my mane came out in me my mainer my maniac. Holy moly. <laughs> uh, but no, that was a wicked cool uh, little uh, conversation we had with Jason. It was great. It was great. You know what? We, we have to find a way to keep doing these like short, concise little conversations. I love them. Yeah.
2: Uh, you know, we've both been extremely busy. You know, reality has made its way into our fun times as it tends to do for everyone. And so the wonderful conversation that we had with Jason uh, should be more than uh, ample to, to make up for that. Okay. So yeah, historical gaming. uh, It's something that, you know, our listeners, I'm sure most of you enjoy. It's something that uh, some of you pursue. Um, And even if it's not your current go-to genre, what do you guys think? I mean, we we, we had a giant conversation about so many different things. Is there something that we missed? Is there something that should be brought to to our attention uh, in regards to historical gaming? what are some of your favorites let us know you know reach you know uh, we enjoy getting uh, the interaction from you guys and gals and and everybody so send us a message
1: please heck yeah reach out to us on uh, on, on anchor.fm/ slash titterpigs. Uh, you can uh, you can record a message there just hit that record or leave message button uh, just remember though that it's like limited to 59 seconds so if you want to do something record a message a little longer. Uh, just record it on your phone or your PC and you can upload it to our email. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, what's our email? It is TitterpigsPod at gmail.com. Uh, you can message us on Twitter. You can message us through our Facebook group. There's, there's all kinds of ways to find us and send us messages. But yes, please tell us if there's a particular aspect of historical gaming that we didn't touch on that you would have liked to have heard us talk about. Because we can always bring Jason back or other guests back and... And continue the conversation. If there's a particular game that you think um, we should check out, by all means, tell us. Yes. You know, enlighten us. It, it may be something that could become our new fave. So, yeah, totally. We wanna hear it. Well, there we
2: go. We put a nice, neat bow on this episode. So, um, we've got more great uh, episodes coming soon. Uh, so, definitely keep your uh, eyes and ears out for those updates on Facebook or, or Twitter. Until next time, we're out of here.